If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 15 in your Bibles, you have pew Bibles, Bible apps, whatever, you might notice in our pews we now have Jesus Storybook Bibles. We're going to hear from that in a minute as well. We've been looking at the resurrection appearances of Jesus that took place between that first Easter Sunday and his ascension 40 days later. Today, we're actually gonna step out of that timeline for a minute, and we're gonna look at a really interesting appearance of the resurrected Christ. This appearance came much later, it may be even years later, we're not sure. In 1 Corinthians 15, the passage we're about to read, Paul, he used to be a man named Saul, now he goes by Paul. Paul argues that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, he says if Christ has not been raised from the dead, that we are hopeless, that we are lost, that we are the most foolish of all people. But if he did, if Jesus really did walk out of that tomb, Paul says, well, that changes everything. This is how uh, author and scholar N.T. Wright, this is how he says it, this is how he describes Christianity. He says, Christianity isn't a set of ideas, it isn't a path to spirituality, it isn't a rule of life, it isn't a political agenda, it's good news about an event that has happened in the world, the resurrection. An event because of which the world can never be the same again. And those who believe it and live by it will never be the same again either. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul goes on to tell us that Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. And then he offers his readers, he offers us some eyewitness evidence for what Paul acknowledges is a really remarkable claim. It says this, 1 Corinthians 15, I'm gonna start in verse three. He says, for I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the 12. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why does Paul tell you that some of them are still alive, at least back then? Yeah. Go ask them, right? Go ask them. These 500, they'll tell you all about it. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me has not been in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. So Paul, when he describes this experience, he doesn't describe it as a vision or as a dream. He describes it as an event, a real event in time and space. A moment when the crucified and resurrected Christ appeared to him. When the resurrected Christ chose Paul, blessed him, broke him, and then sent him out into the world to bring God's salvation to the ends of the earth. So I want you to hear the way the Jesus Storybook Bible I want you to hear the way that Bible tells Paul's conversion story. In the days after Jesus' resurrection, an encounter like this with Jesus, it wasn't unique. Paul said he appeared to more than 500 people. Jesus appeared to, to fearful doubters. He appeared to people who denied him. He appeared to people who didn't really want him to forgive them of their sins. He just, they just wanted him to change their circumstances. Jesus even appeared to his enemies. So listen to the way the Jesus Storybook Bible tells the story. It says it like this. It says, of all people who kept the rules, Saul was the best. I'm good at being good, he'd tell you. He was very proud and very good, but he wasn't very nice. 
Saul hated anyone who loved Jesus. He traveled around looking for them. He wanted to catch them and put them in prison. He wanted everybody to forget all about Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was the rescuer. He didn't believe Jesus was alive. You see, Saul never met Jesus. So one day, Jesus met Saul. Saul was on his way to Damascus when suddenly a dazzling light flashed like lightning. Saul, Saul, said the loud voice, why are you fighting me? Lord, Saul answered, who are you? I'm Jesus, said the voice. And when you're hurting my friends, you're actually hurting me. Saul's whole body trembled. Jesus said, go to the city and I'm gonna tell you what to do. When Saul opened his eyes, he couldn't see. His helpers had to hold his hand and lead him like a little child. Saul was blind for three whole days and yet it was like he was seeing for the very first time. Meanwhile, there was a man named Ananias. He loved Jesus. Jesus came to him in a dream. He said, go to Saul and pray for him and I'll make him see again. Ananias knew all about Saul and how he hated Jesus' followers. Lord, he's coming to hurt us. But Jesus told Ananias, go, because Saul is the one that I've chosen to tell the whole world who I am. So Ananias went to Saul, brother Saul, he said. It was Jesus you met on the road. And Ananias prayed for Saul, and suddenly Saul could see again. But he saw everything differently. He wasn't God's enemy anymore. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul, which means small and humble, which is the very opposite of proud. So that's how the Jesus Storybook Bible tells this story. You can also read it in, uh, Luke tells the story in Acts chapter nine. Paul tells it in his own words in Acts 22 and 26. You can go read those on your own today. This man had a reality altering encounter with the resurrected Christ. Now, like we've already said, over 500 others also did. But there's something different about this one. There's something about this one that really convinces me that this is all true. Because think about it. Why would someone, and he's on his way to Damascus to continue persecuting Christians, by the way. That's why he was traveling that road. Like, why would an enemy of Jesus not only suddenly stop persecuting Christians, but then devote his entire life to making more of them. And then to pastor them, to care for them, to provide for them. Like it's one thing for a follower of Jesus to have an encounter and then to, you know, just follow him even more, right? But an enemy? Like how does this happen? It happened because he had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. An enemy of God had a revelation of God and everything changed. This enemy of God needed a revelation and that revelation compelled him to no longer persecute others on God's behalf, but instead to fight for them, to fight for the hearts and the minds of his enemies, to fight for the salvation of those who stand in opposition to the savior of the world. Y'all, this is a radical transformation. This former enemy of Jesus, he will be beaten, he will be persecuted, he will be tried, he will eventually be killed for the cause of Christ by the very ones that he was trying to save. In the end, his story ends up looking a lot like that of his savior. You see, the reality is Paul's journey was not just from Jerusalem to Damascus. He traveled a long, hard road from pride to humility, 
from an oppressor to a pastor, from an enemy of God to a child of God. It is a radical transformation. And here's the problem. Paul's story is so radical that for some of us, it can feel alienating. I have never had that same experience. My dear friend and mentor, Sam, before he passed away recently, he would always say, he said, I never question or doubt my salvation, but I never had an experience like Paul. I wish I had. The good news is now, now he has, he's with Jesus. He's had that revelation. As we would talk about this together, over time, we came to the conclusion that maybe we all do have an experience like this. Now, the details of our experience, they're often much less dramatic, but I'm becoming more and more convinced that the elements of Paul's conversion, they're the same for all of us. We just have to open our eyes and learn to see it. And if we do, I think that just might change everything for us. There's a book by an author named Henri Nouwen. It's called The Life of the Beloved. Uh, Nouwen was a Catholic priest. Uh, later in life, he left the priesthood to live the rest of his life in a community with disabled adults. It wasn't his job. He just chose to live there. And that experience was the root of much of his writing. Uh, but in this book, he argues that what Jesus says and does at the Last Supper, but also at the story that Beth told, what Jesus does around the meal is an illustration for what happens when Jesus is revealed to us, when we come to find salvation in Christ. And he sums it up with four simple words. He says that we are taken, that we are blessed, that we are broken, and that we are given. Jesus took the bread and gave thanks or blessed it, and then he broke the bread and he gave it. That's exactly what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. He was taken, chosen by Jesus. He was blessed. He was broken. And he was given as a gift. And now one says that we should see our life with God in the exact same way. So he starts by explaining that we are taken or we're chosen by God. Jesus took the bread. Ephesians 1 says this, it says, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this next part is so important. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Y'all listen, in Christ, we are adopted into the family of God. We are made children of God. We are chosen I want you to think about that for a minute. Think about what it feels like when you're chosen for something. Now one says this, he says, when I know that I'm chosen, I know that I'm seen as special because somebody has noticed me in my uniqueness. We've been noticed by God from all eternity, seen as unique, as special, as precious beings. Long before your parents admired you or your friends ever acknowledged your gifts, you were already chosen. The eyes of love notice you, see you as precious, as of infinite beauty, a person with eternal value. Like what if we woke up every day believing that that's true? Like what if you could find a way to drown out all the noise, the lies about who we are, that we are only special, that we're only valuable if 
And then you fill in the blank with whatever is culturally celebrated at the moment. Right? Every time the world has made you feel less than, remember that the world doesn't know the truth about you. God does. So what if you woke up every day believing that you are truly loved? Not because you're just loved, because God loves you. What if you woke up every day realizing that you have been called by the same voice that spoke to Paul on the road, chosen by the same Jesus that chose Paul? I imagine that would change everything. Next, Jesus blesses the bread. Now and tells this really sweet story. Um, one of the residents where he lived, uh, Janet was handicapped and she came up to him before a prayer service one day and she asked Henri, she asked for a blessing. So he proceeded as he was trained, good liturgical form, and he traced the sign of the cross on her forehead with his thumb. And then he writes this. He says, instead of being grateful, she yelled at me. (laughs) She said, no, that doesn't work. She said, I want a real blessing. And he writes really vulnerably. He says that I didn't know what she wanted and I honestly didn't know what to do. He said, so she showed me. He stood up in front of about 30 other disabled residents and he said, Janet has asked me for a special blessing. And before he could say another word, she walked toward him, she put her arms around him and she buried her head in his chest. He was wearing his long white robe, the sleeves covered covered her completely. And then as he just held her there, he opened his mouth and he said, Janet, you are God's beloved daughter. You are precious in God's eyes. I know that there is some sadness in your heart, but I want you to remember every day who you are. You're a very special person. You are deeply loved by God and by all the people who are here with you right now. Okay, now that's a blessing. Like after that, guess what happened next? Like one by one, all 30 residents came to Nawi, Nowen with a big hug, buried their head in his chest, asked for a blessing and they got one. Y'all listen, hearing a blessing like this, it can remind us that we are indeed chosen by God. Like we need to hear that we belong to a God who will never leave us alone. And we can offer this blessing to one another and we should, but I'm telling you that we get this blessing from God as well. The problem is just so often we're, we're just not listening. He blesses us like this all the time. We just don't listen. So try this. Go home today. Uh, Go home today and read Psalm 139. And then read it every day for the next two weeks. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. That's just a part of it. Go home and read all of it. And then sit silently. And then after some silence, Write down whatever thoughts come to your mind. Do that every day for two weeks straight. Y'all, we often complain that God is not speaking to us, that he's not revealing himself to us. What if we just aren't listening? Like what if you woke up each day and saw yourself as blessed by God, as chosen by God, just like Paul? I think if we had that revelation, it would change everything. Jesus took the bread, he blessed it. Then after giving thanks, he broke it. On that road, Paul was broken. He was blinded, he was humbled. And the reality is in this life, so are we. And listen, this one is hard. I don't have time to deal with all the implications of it, but 
Let me just summarize this point really quick. He says this. He says, the way that I'm broken, it tells me something unique about me. The way you are broken tells me something unique about you. I am deeply convinced that each human being suffers in a way that no other human being suffers. Our brokenness is truly ours, nobody else's. Here's why this matters. Paul was uniquely broken. His particular brokenness before coming to Christ, he was persecuting and oppressing followers of Jesus. That very brokenness was used by Jesus to set Paul's own prisoners free. That's what Jesus does. He takes our brokenness and redeems it and makes it right. Like many of you know that much of my brokenness, it comes from my experience with my father. I am not the only one who has that kind of experience. But my experience of it is mine. And it shaped and formed me into the father I am today. And in all humility, I can say that God took my brokenness And he made me a cycle breaker. And he did that for the benefit of the children that I now have the honor to raise. Because God took that brokenness and made it right, because I can see that in hindsight, y'all, I wouldn't undo my past even if I could. The challenge is now to take our present sufferings and trust that God is and will use them to form and shape us into the people he's calling us to be. Like as unpleasant as it is to be broken, there is always a reason behind it. And if we can learn to place our brokenness, it's not the first truth about us. If we can place it under the umbrella of the truth that we are blessed and that we are chosen, then we can come to see that our suffering isn't an obstacle to the joy and the peace that we're looking for. It's often the way that we find it. Like what if we trusted that God will redeem our pain and suffering? Would that change the way we go through it? I'm convinced it will change everything. The final piece, Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, he blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it to his disciples. He gave it to the crowd. Like Paul, we are chosen, blessed, broken, so that so that we can be given, given as a gift in service to others. Y'all listen, as connected as we are today, so many people feel so very alone. Like it is an absolute epidemic. So many people in our world, in our world feel rejected and isolated, unwanted, unnecessary. Like one of the greatest gifts that we have to give to the world is not a tangible thing or even something we can do for them. In a lonely world like this, the greatest gift that we can give them is ourselves. A sense of purpose and meaning, a place to belong. Now and talks about this from the perspective of those in his community, those disabled adults that he chose to live with and love and serve. He says that, he says the greatest source of their suffering was not the handicap itself. It was the feeling of being useless, worthless, unappreciated, and unloved. He said it was easier for them to accept the inability to speak or walk or feed themselves than it was to accept that they were often made to feel like they had little to no value to others. Tell me that's not true of all of us. (laughs) Like we all wanna feel that we have value to others. 
We want to be included. We want to be brought in. Jennifer showed me a meme the other day, like even us introverts. She showed me a meme the other day that said, listen, I'm not going to come, but I still want to be invited. <laughs> like we want to belong. Y'all listen, we have really good news for all people. Like despite what this broken world says about them, they are deeply loved by their creator. That Jesus paid the price so that they can be called children of God once again and that the spirit is ready to form around them a community of love and blessing and purpose. We have a really special gift to offer a lost and lonely world. A place for them where they belong just as they are. A place where they can be loved and love others in return. Where they can serve, where they can put their unique gifts to use. Like we have a family for them that the world simply cannot offer. Now I am telling you Paul's story, his conversion, the details of it may differ. But I'm telling you, it's your story too. Like if you can come to accept that like Paul, you have been chosen and blessed and broken and given to the world, it'll change everything about the way you walk out of this room today. It'll change everything about the way that you live. But here's the deal, and here's the great, the great twist in the story. If Paul's story is our story too, that means that it's also the story of those who right now might be on the outside of the family. It's the story of those who still need to find their way in. And those people might be family, they might be friends, but they might even be our enemies. It might be people who are standing in opposition to Jesus and his church, just like Paul was, just like I once was. Now and says this one last thing. He says, when we claim the truth of being chosen by God, we soon discover within ourselves a deep desire to reveal to others their own chosenness. Our awareness of being chosen opens our eyes to the chosenness of others. That's the great joy of being chosen, the discovery that we're not alone. Others are chosen as well. All they need is a revelation. Like a revelation of the resurrected Christ will change everything and I am convinced that Jesus has a plan to make himself known to all who are lost. And I am convinced that you are a part of that plan. That you are the continuation of that plan. Like one thing the world desperately needs right now is a people who can handle opposition without returning hate. A people who can embrace those they disagree with who cannot just tolerate, tolerate is such a dirty word, don't just tolerate people, love people. Especially people who are wildly different than us. Even those who have set themselves against the way of Jesus. Y'all, we are the only people on the planet who have been called to love our enemy. Jesus said you can love your brother, so what? Everybody does that. It's easy to love when you get love in return. I tell you to love your enemy. We're the only people on the planet that are given that commission. That's who we are called to be. That's our role. That's our purpose here on earth. We are chosen, blessed, broken, and given to the world as a gift. Listen, nearly a third of the planet identifies with the way of Jesus. Nearly a third of the planet calls itself some form or denomination of Christian. That's enough bread multiplied for everybody. What if we all lived like it? 
What if what we said was true? What if we lived as if it actually was? Like we don't have to approve of worldviews or embrace the values of our culture in order to love people. We just have to learn to see them the way Jesus sees them, as his beloved. We just have to learn to see that we were lost and have been found. That we are chosen and blessed and broken and given, and so are they. They just need to be told. If I asked you how you got here, I don't mean to first prayers, I mean to the faith. Those of you who follow Jesus, if I asked you how you got here, I am willing to bet for the vast majority of you, your answer will be a name. Your answer will be the name of a person who paid attention to you, who noticed you, who chose to reach out to you. They took the time, they took the risk to invite you into a family to tell you that you are loved. Mine was my grandmother. Like I wrote myself a note. I said, I wonder if they'd be willing to say the name out loud. Like I wonder. Like who brought you here? Who brought you to the faith? Is anybody willing to say the name out loud? Just say it. Say it. All of, just come on. Praise God for them. What was your name, Brian? Jan Zender. What if Jan Zender had not taken time to bring Brian into the family? What would that mean for your three kids that we're about to confirm today? Thank God for Jan. Y'all, God is simply inviting us to return the favor to offer to others what has been offered to us, to be the reason that somebody finds their way back to God. I had a professor who said that there's a reason that it's taken Jesus so long to come back. It's because all of his family hasn't found their way home yet. So let's do our part and bring them home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, grateful and humbled that you call us your own that you brought us into your family, that you make us new. Help us to see the faces and the stories and all the others in the world to whom you are doing the same. Invite them to be a part of a people who are learning how to love you and love one another well. Give us the courage and the strength and the willingness to trust you and obey you and do what you've called us to do. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's people said.